This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. Today we're going to talk about mortgage refinancing and economic activity related to it. Here to talk to us is Nikolai Rusinov, a Wharton finance professor. His new paper looks at this topic. Nikolai, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So the title of your paper is, part of it anyway, is Houses as ATMs. Can you talk a little bit about, for people that aren't as familiar with mortgage refinancing, what that is and how that relates to that term? Of course. Uh, And the title really is kind of derived from a phrase people had been using at the time of the the mortgage crisis that eventually led into the global financial crisis and the Great Recession. Even, I think, President Obama used that expression once. Basically, the idea of using houses as ATMs is the idea of uh, uh, homeowners uh, using mortgage refinancing or home equity loans or home equity lines of credit to literally take cash out of their homes, meaning to borrow against their housing collateral, the home equity that they have accumulated in their homes. And then, of course, using that cash for um, either spending or maybe paying off credit card balances and maybe even uh, putting uh, it in towards uh, towards uh, other type of uh, investments, uh, stocks or, or, or bonds and so on. Now, in this paper, you're trying to look at some of the economic activity around mortgage refinancing, both before and after the crisis. Can you talk a little bit about how you're able to study this? Of course. So kind of to give some background, as I said, this idea of uh, homeowners using their houses as ATMs uh, had been around. And a lot of the discussion around the financial crisis was that uh, households had become very highly leveraged over the course of the housing boom, which potentially contributed to the crisis and the, and the Great Recession. Basically, the idea was that uh, people had borrowed a lot against their homes when house prices were rising. And then when house prices collapsed, they ended up having uh, these kind of unsustainably large uh, debt burdens, which uh, forced them to maybe cut their consumption spending, which probably c- contributed to the to the recession and maybe the kind of the uh, the severity of the Great Recession, and in fact, a lot of the discussion in kind of macroeconomics and finance uh, literature has been uh, about the role of this kind of the great leveraging and then deleveraging over the course of the housing boom and bust. Uh, what my co-authors and I um, kind of looked at was, in particular, the role of uh, refinancing, but also we took a little bit of a a longer perspective, we looked at the kind of history of mortgage refinancing over uh, the period starting from about late uh, 1980s through uh, kind of the more recent period. And what we showed uh, was that this pattern of uh, home equity withdrawal or cash out refinancing in the process of um, uh, refinancing the, the the first mortgage in particular is very cyclical. It's not just this uh, kind of pre-financial crisis period where we see that, but in fact, uh, in every uh, recession, and we had three in this uh, kind of sample, so we had the 1991 recession, the 2001 recession that followed the dot-com boom, and then, of course, the Great Recession in 2007-2009. In every one of those recessionary periods, we see that households who were refinancing and taking advantage of uh, kind of lower interest rates going into re- the recession had been 
uh, taking out some uh, some home equity before that. And a lot of those households, and in fact, looked like they were refinancing into mortgages with not lower but even higher uh, interest rates, which seems surprising uh, unless you realize that well, a lot of the households who had home equity to withdraw weren't weren't refinancing to lower their rate, but rather were re- refinancing in order to take the cash out of the uh, out of their houses. And the question is why. Now, a lot of the kind of the narrative that you will hear is that well, people were kind of borrowing and spending recklessly, and they were taking advantage of these high high house prices uh, to to do so. Well, this might have been to some extent the case in the kind of during the housing boom. Uh, this was unlikely the case in the earlier recession periods uh, or periods leading up to those recessions. And in fact, it's not irrational if we think about it from sort of a, a standard economic standpoint uh, for people to take advantage of their home equity. Uh, to spend some of it, convert some of it into cash to use it for for consumption spending, if they're expecting that their um, incomes in the future will be uh, will be higher. And when would that be kind of typical uh, for, for for people to do that? Well, when their incomes are temporarily depressed, which is what happens in kind of a recessionary period. So one thing that um, I think people are often forgetting is that the period in the early two thousands when we saw kind of prolonged uh, low interest rates and a boom of refinancing that kind of went along with this. This was a period of what was known as a jobless recovery, in the same, by the way, uh, period after the 91 recession, right. uh, where uh, the economy kind of recovered from the recession overall pretty quickly, but job growth was fairly stagnant. And in fact, uh, the Fed chairman, Alan Greenspan, at the time, let's say, I think in 2004, he was. Uh, uh, speaking at uh, the testifying in Congress, and he was uh, uh, showing this kind of as a as a success of his policy, the fact that keeping interest rates low allowed households to take out uh, kind of cash from their homes through the process of mortgage refinancing, cash out refinancing, and convert it into consumption, which, in his view, was helping the kind of the economic. Because people were spending recovery. the money. People were spending the money exactly, even though a lot of them. Uh, weren't yet seeing their incomes improve. So the idea is from the economic standpoint, if we think that people's incomes are temporarily depressed, it's not crazy for them to use that cash that they have locked in their home as a temporary kind of buffer uh, spending. But I guess that's sort of contingent on the fact that their incomes, like they think, do end up rising. And if they don't, Exactly. And this is kind of what happened during the Great Recession or the uh, kind of the, the collapse of the housing boom that we saw uh, basically kind of not only made the kind of housing price gains evaporate, but also made a lot of the jobs disappear and, and those kind of income uh, growth expectations that people may have had of course didn't didn't materialize and of course what we ended up having is a, a pr- pretty prolonged period of uh, of depressed economic uh, conditions but it's not something that people could have foreseen maybe ahead of time now it's easy to say after the fact that well how how, how could we uh, how could we not not see it? But again, if you go back to 2005, 2006, the economy is humming along. The, the the housing market is on fire, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, we know house prices don't go down; they only go up." Which again, we could say is is irrational as economists. But the expectation was that house prices are going up and the incomes will catch up. It wasn't that well, house prices got 
uh, kind of too high relative to incomes, they're going to collapse, and that's how that's how the two will meet. Uh, that was clearly not the expectation that people had, even though maybe that's something that what happened in the end. What I also wonder if it's reflective of it feels like before the most recent crisis that people really did have this idea of like your house, like not just a refinancing to use, not just as a refinancing, but just in general that you kind of use your house as the thing that gets you to the next biggest house. Like that it's the idea is that you use the value in your house to get to the next thing. And it seems like since the crisis that's evaporated a little bit that people don't really see it that way anymore. Perhaps. So that's something that I can't necessarily speak too much to in that uh, in the in the data that we're we're using, we don't necessarily see people trading trading up or down for that matter. What we do know is that the the, the rate of homeownership did go up a little bit over the course of the housing boom, and then since then it had uh, gone down, which might in part reflect the fact that a lot of people are kind of unable uh, to afford their the down payment on their home, even though interest rates have been very low and mortgage rates have been very uh, very low, and just kind of the ability. Uh, or maybe the willingness to make that investment has uh, has decreased. And that may have something to do with the fact that these expectations of future uh, of, uh, income growth, the, 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 the future opportunities uh, to make those mortgage payments and, uh, and, and, and be able to afford larger homes are not there anymore because we kind of have a period of stagnant productivity growth, stagnant wage growth. So it's not, again, necessarily surprising that uh, that the mindset maybe has uh, has shifted a little bit. Um, but we'll see. Maybe this is, again, a, a transitory phenomenon. So what are the key takeaways here, I would say, both for policymakers, but also for, for home buyers or for people that already own a home? So one kind of uh, key takeaway is that we shouldn't be too kind of quick to interpret what we saw over the kind of the period of 2000s, this kind of run up and, and, and leverage as necessarily irrational or result of some nefarious behavior by unscrupulous lenders. I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but I wouldn't say that that was kind of the predominant driver of, uh, of that great leveraging. And then the deleveraging that followed, however painful that may have been for a lot of people who were kind of caught off guard maybe by their house value plunging and their debts, of course, staying the same and having to re- having to repay those debts uh, in the face of maybe not uh, not rising wages like they had expected. Uh, and maybe the lesson here is, while well, you, for homeowners in particular, uh, be very, uh, very careful when you get that offer in the mail from a bank saying, oh, you can refinance your mortgage and you can get cash out because your house is appreciated in value, which, you know, since the Great Recession have gone a long way and in, in many areas of the country, the home values have uh, have gone up. Uh, be very careful. Think about what's going to happen, you know, maybe five, ten years down the road when uh Whatever, whatever might happen to to to, to your income, to your uh, kind of employment uh, prospects, those debts that you rack up now uh, will be there for you to repay. And uh, default, uh, kind of bankruptcy, or in the in the case of mortgage debt foreclosure, is an unpleasant uh, thing that nobody probably wants to uh, f- uh, find themselves. Uh, facing and uh, there could be a situation where you have to repay your debts and your income is not quite catching up with that which is uh, not a pleasant situation to find yourself in and 
I think the recent experience, the experience again of the last 10 years has taught some people that, but maybe not not everyone, and certainly as a new kind of generation of first-time home buyers um, may, may may be tempted to um, kind of tap into into the cash, well, that's locked in their homes in the form of equity in some of the areas where the house prices have grown and interest rates being uh, kind of once again touching the historic lows, mortgage rates in particular, it may be very tempting to uh, to, to take equity uh, out of the home. Uh, we have to kind of think about the long term. And uh, yeah, if, we, if people think that their incomes in the future are going to be higher than what they are now, they're going to be stable, um, maybe that's not a not not a bad idea to kind of smooth your uh, kind of consumption profile over time, uh, or if you're actually planning to invest into your home, doing something that's going to in, in, increase the value of it, so some sort of re, uh, remodeling and home improvement, then it's not really pure consumption; it's actually kind of investment. It's okay to borrow uh, against that again within reason, of course. Uh, but you have to think about what's going to happen down the road with your ability to, again, repay this. What I was going to say, with mortgage refinancing in general, I mean, was that a concept that was cre- created with the idea of that you would invest it back into your home as opposed to using the cash for something unrelated to that? That's a good question. I think um, a lot of the thinking that went into the kind of creation of home equity line of lines of credit or uh, cash out refinancing probably – um, had something to do with kind of investment into your home as opposed to into other forms of spending or consumption and uh, and uh, you know buying boats and, and cars and motorcycles. Um, but it's it's not necessarily such a newfangled concept either. If you read you know classic nineteenth century literature, uh, you know, wealthy estate owners uh, around kind of uh, Europe. Uh, from Russia to to England would be kind of mortgaging and remortgaging their estates and and then eventually getting themselves into debts that they could not uh, they could not repay and having their estates and sold off at auction. It's not something that that is completely sort of uh, a result of a crazy financial innovation in the twenty first century. This has been around for a long time. People use value uh, or, or equity in their real estate. To borrow against it and spend it to support their consumption, lifestyles, and so on is and and it can get reckless occasionally. And uh, just like uh, some of the you know heroes of nineteenth century literature discovered to their great chagrin, you know you could get yourself into serious trouble doing that. And yet, you know, in twenty first century, people are still doing this as well. Well, it seems like we never really learn from the past. Usually, that's not, I guess, a human nature. Yeah. Well, and I guess it sounds like that this past recession, though, was a bit of an anomaly compared to the other two that you looked at. So people maybe couldn't have predicted that. And it also makes me wonder that, you know, we've all there's been a lot of talk lately about when will the next recession be? Are we on the cusp of that? That there's probably really it's makes it almost even harder to predict what's if that does happen, like what's what's going to happen with that and what will happen afterwards. I mean, there seems to be more uncertainty these days. That's right. Well, uh, the thing is, uncertainty is always there with us. And sometimes uh, we perceive it as being greater than, than at other times. Uh, and, you know, nobody can predict when the next recession will come. And of course, there's a lot of talk about a recession coming, but that doesn't mean that it's going to um, 
happen you know, this year or next year. It'll probably happen eventually. Um, what I can say is that, of course, the levels of indebtedness uh, and kind of home equity type borrowing is not are not as high as they, they were kind of preceding the, the Great Recession, of course, sure. But uh, nevertheless, I think whenever recession comes, we will see um, greater rates of uh, well foreclosure or at least some delinquency in uh, in mortgages and other types of consumer borrowing. We we certainly see kind of, uh, an uptick in, uh, in in consumer borrowing and also you know student loans is another another area that I don't necessarily myself work in, but there is there is definitely interest in trying to understand kind of whether there is a an increased uh, kind of fragility coming from. Uh, of accumulation of student debt and where, where that, where, what's going to happen with that whenever there's a kind of economic weakness. And what's next for this research? Well, the big kind of unanswered question is even though our model kind of explains relatively well taking kind of what happened to house prices uh, and interest rates over the period of the 2000s as given, it explains relatively well what happened with kind of mortgage borrowing and mortgage refinancing and kind of home equity uh, withdrawal and consumption again before and after the crisis. The big unanswered question is why did house prices rise as much as they did um, before kind of they came crashing down? Uh, and that's something that our research to date does not answer. There's a lot of um, discussion about kind of the causes uh, of of that house price run up, and there is quite a bit of uh, disagreement. And this is something that we would like to, of course, understand as well to what extent um, you know, this idea of using your house as ATM and valuing the, the house not just as a place to live in, but also this potential source of kind of rainy day uh, cash uh, could contribute to the kind of demand for, 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 for home and, and particularly in the areas that are seen as kind of attractive from the standpoint. Well, uh, I know within the kind of around here, the house is always going to be valuable and I can always take can take a loan against it and and, and then maybe that's something that makes people more willing to pay for uh, for for a house of a certain size uh, right now even though it may be a bit more expensive than what they think they can afford or what they even need from sort of a purely you know, living um, consideration um, and that's something that's well it's not an easy question to answer and something that we're that we're working on but uh, we'll see where we get there with, with that. Nick, thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcasting app or your other favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you hear, please leave us a comment or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.